1: Hello, my name is Ian Drake and this is the New Books Network. We are joined today by Ruta Sepetes. She is the author of six books of historical fiction published in over 60 countries and 40 languages. She's considered a crossover novelist as her books are read by both young people and adults. She is the winner of the Carnegie Medal, which is the most prestigious uh, uh, United Kingdom award for children's literature. She won that in 2017 for her novel Salt to the Sea, which was about young people in the last days of World War II. Ruta was bestowed the cross of the Knight of the Order by the president of Lithuania for her contributions to education and memory preservation and is the only author that I know that I've interviewed who has actually been honored with their visage on the front of a postage stamp. So, Ruta, thank you so much for joining us on the New Books Network.
0: Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, your latest book, The Reason That We're Talking Today, is a book about the last days of the Ceausescu regime in Romania in 1989. It's entitled, I Must Betray You, and it is as I mentioned, historical fiction, but it is related to real historical events. And explain to us uh, why you chose to wrote about write about this.
0: I was on tour in Romania for my first novel, Between Shades of Grey. And because I'm the daughter of a Lithuanian refugee, my father fled from Lithuania when the Soviets uh, occupied the Baltics, I thought that I had a working knowledge of post-war communist systems. But when I was in Romania and meeting with my publisher and my translators and some of the readers, the story of what Romania experienced emerged, and along with my bald ignorance. And I realized that I had no idea of their collective suffering and this um, atmosphere of mass surveillance Uh, by uh, the Securitate, who was recruiting people to become informers. And it was just a story that I was unfamiliar with. And since I have a background with communism, I thought, well, if I'm unfamiliar with this story, many readers might be too. And I was motivated um, to share what I believe is underrepresented history. So
1: you referenced the fact that informers were a... Broad practice uh, within the regime, and that's certainly central to the story that you tell. Um, this is about a, a young boy who's your protagonist, uh, Christian Florescu. He's, I believe, seventeen years old, and he faces some stark choices uh, early on in the book. And you want to explain some of the pressures that are uh, come to bear on uh, Christian.
0: Sure. The book is set in 1989 in Bucharest, Romania, and and in particularly the mid to late 80s, things were extremely difficult in Romania. Um, The dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu, just controlled people through their own fear. And to do that, he used his secret police force, the Securitate. Uh, And it's estimated that one in every 10 Romanian citizens was recruited to become an informer. Um, And so we have my main character, Christian Florescu, who's a student, and he's blackmailed by a securitate officer to inform for the regime. And this minor, he's a minor, he's under 18, he's expected to inform on his neighbors, on his friends, on his family, even on his girlfriend. Um, But instead of betraying everyone that he loves, he decides he's going to turn the tables and he's going to betray the regime by getting information to the American embassy. And this is on the eve of the Romanian revolution, uh, which is a, a very, you know, for me as, as a writer, it was a very interesting um, time to, to write about. And so, of course, everything goes horribly wrong for this, this young man. And that gives us a peek inside uh, of this atmosphere of fear in Romania.
1: And of course, this is an understandable fear. Uh, it's hard to imagine uh, the notion that your friends, neighbors, and perhaps even your family members may in some fashion have been recruited by the regime to inform upon others and maybe even you. And so it seems to me that you do a really good job of uh, recreating uh, this sense of fear and suspicion that everybody seems to display towards each other, even if they consider themselves friends and intimates.
0: Yes, and that was exactly what stood out to me when I was speaking to the Romanian people during my research, because in other countries that I had um, written books and for example, Poland, you know, Salt to the Sea, or Lithuania, my book Between Shades of Grey, what um, the true witnesses described to me was an atmosphere of solidarity between one another, um, or a unity of victimhood, one woman described it as. But when I was interviewing the Romanians, This just seemed a a level of cruelty from the Ceausescu regime uh, to deny human beings any sort of friendship, camaraderie, comfort. Imagine that feeling of never knowing whom you could trust. And in some cases, people told me that they, they couldn't even trust people within their own family. Um, and that just seemed like a level of cruelty that was altogether different. And I try to, as you say in the book, even use language and phrasing, um, you know, as I'm telling the story so that, that fear is, you know, and tightness is reflected through the prose.
1: And you noted that you interviewed people, you interviewed quite a few people, um, for this. Can you describe your research process that went into this?
0: Yeah, um, I uh, I think I'm more of a researcher than a writer. I think I enjoy the research so much, I have to convince myself, okay, really, now it's really time to buckle down and write. Um, but for each novel, my process is similar. I start by reading all of the nonfiction that I can, because as I say in my author's note, my work sort of sits on the shoulders of of nonfiction. And also, I do that because one of my first steps in research is to track down uh true witnesses and interview them and and if i'm going to do that out of respect i need to have a good working knowledge of the time period that that i'm writing about and so for this i i took several trips to romania and um stayed in different parts of the of the country sometimes in stayed in hotels sometimes rented apartments and my publisher in romania was able to connect me with certain people um, for for example, um, meeting with these historians who are experts on the Securitate to break down that process for me, show me how these agents could install listening devices within a matter of seconds, uh, Either in a windowsill or a light fixture, or even in someone's shoes, or uh, that played a large role. Research of the Securitate, and then meeting with the Romanians themselves who uh, endured the the revolution and Ceausescu's regime. Um, people who are now elderly, people who are you know middle aged who were teenagers at the time, um, and then I interviewed uh, some people who are adults now who were students during the revolution and. It made such an impression on me that these young people um, who lived in this atmosphere of oppression to to, to stage an uprising and to protest, this was absolutely illegal and and could ferry you straight to prison. And they did it anyway. They were so incredibly brave. And so I wanted to portray that. And then I um, spent time, and of course, Ceausescu's Palace of Parliament was able to also go to his personal residence And see how Ceaușescu was living relative to how the Romanians themselves were living. And I even interviewed um, the gentleman uh, in the military who was on the firing squad who executed Ceaușescu. And so um, I, I probably interviewed, I don't know, 80 to 95 people. And I pull these threads from the interviews and weave them together to create composite characters, if you will, So one character might represent the experience of maybe 25 people that I interviewed.
1: So the character that stood out for me, this is just my personal assessment, um, was the grandfather of Christian. Um, I found him remarkable because of his apparent um, unabashed truth-telling and his willingness to buck the norms that everybody else lived in fear of. do Do you get a sense based on your research, whether people like him were in any sense common, or uh, is he do you think he was unusual even among the elderly? Uh,
0: well, as I'm researching, I do find um Ian, that uh, certain people tell me similar things, and I make note of 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 those common elements. And one of the common elements was that, Uh, adults told me, uh, because I was marveling how brave the students were, and many of the adults said, oh, no, no, (laughs) you needed to meet my grandmother or you needed to meet my grandfather. The elderly Romanians, um, they had lived prior to this dictatorship. They had traveled. They at one time had had a passport. Some of them had studied in other countries. They knew what was beyond the borders, and they, many people told me that they wanted their young people to know that there was something else out there. And even if they couldn't experience it and travel, that they wanted them to build an internal landscape, as they called it. They, they wanted them through, you know, even studying philosophy or poetry to be able to transport themselves out of this this apocalyptic landscape of the loss that they were living in and many people told me that these older people were so brave and i wanted to portray that so i came up with this grandfather character bunu who um oh yeah he's he's very very brave and outspoken and refuses to speak in whispers like everyone else
1: and you also have some themes here about um that reflect the historical reality, as you mentioned, what's going on outside of Romania, uh, It as, as the book illustrates, very few Romanians seem to have a sense for how the rest of the world sees Romania, um, and also their understanding of the rest of the world. They're very cloistered. Obviously, the regime is fearful of their access to any kind of uh, external media, uh, and the radio is really precious and keeping it in good repair, et cetera. So can you talk about uh, the sense that people were isolated in the world?
0: Yes, this was something I wanted to convey because it was one of the many uh, cruelties of Ceausescu. Uh, On one hand, he was denying the Romanian people access to the outside, and on the other hand, he was denying the world access to the beauty That is the country of Romania and the intelligence and beauty of the Romanian people. Uh, And so it was very isolated. And during this period, during the fall of communism, I think the narrative that was created for many of us at the time were these images of seeing people on the Berlin Wall. That sort of became the narrative for the fall of communism. But there are these other stories like solidarity in Poland and what happened in Romania and and Bulgaria and these other countries that I, I wanted to Um, to touch upon. The other thing that you mentioned that was so important to me in this book um, was Radio Free Europe and Voice of America. This was a lifeline for the Romanian people. And and I talk about common points in interviews. I think everyone that I interviewed uh, said, oh, yeah, we all we all had these illegal antennas, Ruta, and no one spoke of it because, of course, we didn't want it taken away. And they explained that the regime itself, they didn't want to jam the signals, they didn't have the equipment, um, you know, the expensive equipment to jam the signals and they wanted the information too. So everyone was listening to Radio Free Europe. Um, And and one thing that made such an impression on me that I I think of just today as we're doing this interview is several Romanians told me that during this period of isolation, um, they often felt so hopeless And then through one of those broadcasts might come like the captive nations address, or someone might speak directly to the Romanian people themselves and say, the world has not forgotten you. We are thinking of you and we want you to be the authors of your own destiny. And hearing that was so powerful for these Romanian people that for the people outside of Romania, we're thinking of them, you know, and oftentimes much of the news cycle goes to these, these leaders. Um, and sometimes we forget the citizens themselves. And I wanted to focus on that in this book, um, and show the life of an ordinary, um, kind of teenager who's not only so cloistered, he lives in his closet. Um, these communist departments had, were very small and maybe had one bedroom and there was a family of five in there. And several people said that their teenagers chose to, to, to live in, um, to take the contents out of the closet and make that their bedroom. So it's literal and metaphorical with this hunger and seclusion.
1: One aspect of this cloistered life that was that really struck home with me, and I had, when I read about this, I remembered hearing about this woman, and it inspired me. I haven't done it yet, but I want to read more about her. There is this one woman who translates a lot of Western movies uh, into Romanian, and they're smuggled into the country. Can you explain about this real person that you reference uh, in the book?
0: Yes. Thank you for bringing up Irina Margarita Nist. She is the voice of freedom. Uh, In interviewing Romanians, they said that in the mid 80s, uh, well, in the 80s in general, these movies were smuggled in from the West. And initially, they literally thought these movies were fantasy. I mean, look at these people, they're opening up refrigerators with food and, and they're choosing where to live and they're choosing what jobs uh, to work at. And it just seemed like fantasy. And then over the years, they realized this is not fantasy. This is how the outside world lives. And they told me that the movies were dubbed into Romanian uh by the same woman, and when I interviewed people, Ian, if you could have seen their faces, they said, "Oh, she was she was the voice," and I imagined that she she looked like an angel, and she was bringing the world, the outside inside, and uh, and she's the voice of freedom, and risked her life to uh, to to translate these films, and and when I interviewed her, I said, "You know, did you?" did your family know what you were doing? And she said, yes. And, and she said, my mother would never want me to be a coward. And she said, we never spoke of it, but she knew what I was doing. And she said, there was even a Securitate agent in the building where I worked and he knew what I was doing. And um, and she said it was very dangerous, uh, but everyone in Romania you know, knows her. She's a film critic and we recently did an event uh, together. And, and I and was just so grateful for the opportunity to speak to her.
1: So uh, that brings up another point that's uh, really a theme throughout the book is that um, when you referenced uh, this translator's mother and she knew what she was doing and acquiesced in it or supported it tacitly, um, one theme to me that was notable is the divi- divisions that exist within Christian's family, uh, his father versus his mother versus the grandfather. These are all um really distinct personalities, and they have very dramatically different attitudes towards freedom or even uh, the possibility of change in the country, and their fears really govern how the family interacts on uh, the most uh, minute bases. Uh, So can you explain how these dynamics uh, were revealed in your research in terms of how families actually coexisted?
0: Yes. And sadly, some of those stories uh, didn't uh, come to light until 15 years after uh, Ceausescu was executed. The Securitate files were not open for 15 years. And when I met with Stéjarel Olaru, who is one of the historians in Romania, um, he was the one who sort of got me into these files. And and it was really remarkable to me. I said, "Stéj, look look at th- these the family dynamics um, and imagine what must've been going on inside the house on a daily basis inside the apartment. And then behind the scenes, uh, there were instances where in one family, people were informing upon one another. And then there was maybe a dissident in one family. And so in a family of five, there there could have been 5,000 pages of Securitate reports. And what was interesting was to see the perspective of the family members as they were, let's say, speaking on the phone or sending a letter. And so you could see their perspective. But then you would see the Securitate reports about them and realize, oh my goodness, they have no idea. They're being tracked. There, And so the reports alone read like a thriller. And that's what gave me that idea. In the book, I include some reports from the Securitate. So we see Christian And what he is thinking, it's told in first person. And then we see the Securitate reports and we realize what's really going on behind the scenes.
1: And one wonders with the voluminous records from one family, one wonders whether these reporting efforts, these informant efforts were simply a social control that would cause fear and obedience within the populace or whether these reports were actually in any sense useful to the regime. I I mean, can you imagine, I can't imagine there are diligent uh, employees reading this stuff and actually taking action. I would imagine it's more just a system of social control and this may be a historical question that's really impossible to fully answer.
0: Well, I think it was actually a bit of both. Um, first and foremost, uh, yes, I agree. Absolutely. This is a sense of control. Um, uh, not knowing, you know, being in a, a situation of uncertainty can be a form of terror. I've seen this, you know, uh, used by Soviet regimes in other other countries. It's a form of terror, this never knowing. In Romania, not knowing when the electricity is going to snap off, not knowing when there might be food in the shop, and if so, what might be there. And so that atmosphere of 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 never knowing was, was harrowing. I mean, it hung over them like a, a a cold shadow, but then also it gave Ceausescu this, this power that if he did want to look into some, someone, or if something came up, (laughs) there was a good chance he probably had, you know, the equivalent of Three 300 page novels on the family that he could go and read or have, some, not that he himself would, but that he could have someone review. And they would use that to blackmail some, I mean, the smallest thing, we know you had a conversation with this person. Oh, we know you exchanged this postcard with this person. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just terrible to think of that kind of, of oppression. And I still, I studied betrayal in, uh, in writing the book and and learned that often, you know, when we betray others, we betray ourselves and just wonder the, the, you know, what effect that has on a lasting effect on a population.
1: Now, after communism fell in East Germany, the Stasi files for a time were open to uh, apparently almost anyone who wanted to look at their own file. Uh, Was this same availability of files uh, made in Romania?
0: no it was not um the process of you know lustration as we know it just did not happen in in romania when uh, ceausescu was uh, executed a replacement set of communists took over and that was very frustrating i mean imagine for these people brave romanians who took part in the revolution and the uprising thinking they were fighting for change only to have more of the same and the files weren't opened and so the truth Um, It was withheld from people and they really didn't know. And I spoke to people during research who said that they were very frustrated by that. And then there were people who said I was frustrated. But then once I was finally able to access my file, I wish I had never done it. They said, Ruta, I I, I wish I had never done it. It changed. um, It changed my life for the negative um, knowing, you know, how I had been betrayed by some of those that I loved the most, you know, so there it's, it's very mixed, um, and very complex, I think, a topic.
1: So you did extensive research in, uh, Romania and outside of it as well. You interview people even here in the U S, um, in the uh, process of your research, I'm sure you learned a lot, but was, were there any things that really surprised you that you didn't expect to find?
0: Oh, th- there are always surprises with e- with each book, and that's why um, when I start a project, I might have a list of questions. Um, but uh, what what's more interesting is what the people tell me themselves. For example, I didn't know that much of the technology that they were using in Romania, um, computer technology, they had stolen from Texas instruments in the United States. And, and this theft, and they were so proud. Um, when I say they, the regime, they were so proud of this theft, how they had you know taken the United States on a ride. And also, I was surprised um, to learn how closely aligned um, many countries were with Ceausescu. Yes, I did know that Ceaușescu was considered a maverick because he didn't always agree with Soviet leadership, and so um, the UK and the United States and, and Canada, you know, they said, "Oh well, he's our friend; he's a benevolent dictator." And that was not uh, the case. He was not a maverick. He was a monster. And and to find the extent, um, you know, to which some people, some people in Washington, um, you know, had photos in their office with Ceaușescu, which is, oh my goodness, it, that really surprised me.
1: Well, I remember uh, I was a college sophomore in 1989 when uh, the Ceausescus were executed, and I had seen the wall fall on my uh, on television, uh, the Berlin Wall, in earlier that fall. And, but I knew next to nothing about the regime, and in many ways, this was it. I think somewhat reminiscent of um, the North Korean regime, kind of a hermit kingdom with this very closed society. Um, but today, Romania, uh, in many ways. Is integrated into the West. Uh, and do you get a sense from your interviews that the Romanians are optimistic about their, the future of their country at this point?
0: I find differing perspectives um, among the generations. Um, the younger people, as similar, let's say in, in Lithuania and some other countries, the younger people who were born into freedom and into independence um, are extremely hopeful. And, uh, and today Romania does have a very robust democracy and they have wonderful allies that, you know, the relationship between Romania and the United States is, is wonderful and other countries. But I find that the older people in Romania are still, um, quite cautious. Whereas the younger people say, oh, that could never, ever happen again. You know, that that would never happen again. No, no, no. That's the past. Those are the stories that our parents and grandparents tell. Um, You know, and so my Romanian publisher, they were very eager to publish the Romanian edition of the book for their their readers there as well.
1: Have you spoken with people who've read the book in Romania?
0: I have. And as you might imagine, um, you know, because I'm writing fiction, I'm writing about a time period that i didn't experience i'm plagued by this question you know what rights do we have to history other than our own and although i worked with nearly 100 people in Romania on this book, I I still am very fearful. But so far, the reaction has just been so wonderful. And, and they're, they're very pleased. I did an event with the uh, Romanian ambassador to the United States. And he was so pleased with the way I had depicted, um, you know, the atmosphere and the politics at the time. And, uh, but, uh, as always, I'm, You know, I wrote this book, but it's not my story. So when I do hear from people to tell me that I've made an error, my publisher, Penguin Random House, is wonderful that in subsequent editions we can change it. And I have already been, um, you know, notified of some small errors that we have on on deck to change.
1: (laughs) I would imagine, though, that people that did live through this time are grateful for that story being told.
0: Well, they they are, and that's so gracious of them. Um, because imagine if a a Romanian told the story of Lithuania. Um, and that's kind of what's happening here. I'm a Lithuanian American telling that story, and they're they're so gracious. They're really my co writers, uh, and that's what's so great about this process. Of research because you think writing is a very solitary endeavor, but um, historical fiction and research really allows it to become a team sport, if you will. And I love that aspect of it. And so now it's all of us, you know, who are celebrating the publication of this book.
1: Well, the book is entitled I Must Betray You. It's a historical novel about the last days of the Ceausescu regime in 1989. And we've been joined today by its author, Ruta Sepetys. Ruta, thank you so much for joining us on the New Books Network.
0: Thanks so much for the opportunity.